Welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. This is Matt Zapala, your host and creator of Euphoria Health and Active Living, your go-to hub for all information on movement, sustainability, and plant-based nutrition. My main goal is to generate happiness, and I couldn't think of a more fitting word to represent my brand than Euphoria. Join me as I dive into raw conversation with qualified professionals, athletes, influential individuals, and many more. It's time now to introduce this week's special guest. In episode 13 of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down and listening to Doug Den Mulder, or better known as Dig Doug's, story. I think it's fantastic to hear from athletes, medical professionals, or fitness professionals, but I also think it's amazing to hear from everyday people, just like us, and their story. Doug's story is nothing short of amazing. I was fortunate enough to meet him and his wife, Nadine, while I was working at Particle Cafe. I was attracted to them by their strong South African accent, and ever since then, we've developed an awesome connection. I love everything that Doug stands for, and I'm so inspired by his ability to find a positive in even the darkest of times. In the episode, we go through Doug's personal transition from an animal-based diet into a plant-based diet, as well as his transition moving his life from South Africa to Australia. We also discuss the horrific incident that Doug endured at a trampoline park which changed his life forever. He was only centimetres away from full paralysis and even through the worst of times, he still remained positive. Along with his outstanding beard and awesome tattoos, Doug is a great bloke with an awesome story and I can't wait to share it with you all. Doug, or better known as Dig Doug, how are you mate and welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. Good, thanks mate. Thanks so much for having me mate. Awesome mate, it's a pleasure. Before we get into it, tell us why people call you Dig Doug. Uh, it's, I don't think there's really any, any big fun story behind it, but um, I think it used to be back in the day there was a, um, like a, a, I don't know, computer game or some little handheld game called Dig Doug. <laughs> I think there was a little bloke that used to move around and eat things and collect stuff. Um, and I think just for <laughs> a, a selfish reason, everyone digs Doug. So <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just went for went for the Dig Doug. I yeah. love it, mate. I love that. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, just to paint the picture for you guys, I'm currently sitting in Doug and Nadine's house. They've just brought me a lovely long black and a juice, and we're pumped to get stuck into the podcast. Firstly, Doug, it's been a pleasure meeting you, and you've made a big impact on my life without you even realising. I used to work at a cafe called Particle Cinnamon in Avondale Heights, one of the most iconic vegan cafes in Melbourne. And even if I wasn't out the front of the time, I knew it was you and Nadine walking in basically because of your South African accent, if you guys have a bit up already. <laughs> it is my personal favourite accent, and no matter how much I practice, I always sound like a mixture of a Chinese and an English accent. <laughs> yeah, my, my accent's no, no good either, but it's, it's, it's been changed over a few years. <laughs> I love it, mate. It resonates with me. I guess that's what drew me to you guys, and we created an awesome connection, and we're currently building on that, and I've found out so much about you that I think a lot of people can take from your story and I'm pumped to get stuck into it. Beautiful. Doug, let's start. What was life like growing up for you? Um, life in general was, was pretty good, man. I mean, I, I, I was born in Johannesburg um, in South Africa. Um, 
my folks, my dad's originally from Australia, so he moved over to South Africa when he was pretty young with his dad um, uh, to Johannesburg. My mom and her her family had moved over also when she was pretty young, so they obviously met through there. I was born there. I've got a younger brother as well who was born, so just the two of us. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty good, man. It's a, it's a beautiful country. It's great. There's still so many aspects of it that are that are awesome. Um, but it's often let down by, um, you know, the increase in crime, um, the amount of corruption, um, the poverty is also pretty sad sometimes. And it's just, that, that's what's let, what, what, it lets it down. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good life. Um, it, I by no means whatsoever lived a, lived a sheltered, um, protected life, but you, you always have to have your guard up. You always have to be quite alert, quite street smart. Always got to be um, be aware of what's going on around you. Um, it, specifically, if you know you're out by yourself or you you're moving around places or um, you're out with a bunch of friends or there's nothing like you have here with like train systems and public transport and that sort of stuff. So you're often left to your own sort of devices. It's quite backwards in a sense. Yeah, it is, man. It's um, there's so many great things about it about the country, and it's there still are. I mean, it's um, it's as much as it progresses, um, it, it does regress to a certain extent year on year. Um, Did you ever face any hardships with poverty or crime as you were growing up in South Africa? Um, not not uh, personally. Like um, like I had a I had a really good upbringing. My par- my parents always provided really well for for us. Um, was always well looked after. Um, you know, went to good schools. Um, had good family environment. Um, immediate it was all great uh, but in terms of like you, you you're exposed to it no matter what yeah. like daily you see there's poverty everywhere man so you could um it's not too dissimilar to anywhere else in the world where there's there's um uh, lack of jobs or the economy dropping that sort of stuff leads to more homelessness or whether it be drug epidemics that leads to that as well um not saying that that's the be all and end all of of poverty but yeah government um isn't isn't really um, doing too well there as far as I'm aware um, which does I think add to that poverty factor a lot great yeah, so yeah lack of education um, it, it's just it's, it's like it's destructive in a way in for the, sure yeah. definitely and did you have anything to keep you occupied while you were growing up such as sports or were you heavily uh, educated what, what happened there yeah man so I wasn't uh, I'll be honest I wasn't like the, the greatest student um, you know I got through did what I had to do to get by. Um, <clears throat> I was a, a, a creative kid, so I mean, I liked doing things like the woodworking, I liked art. Um, I wasn't a brainy kid, like math was like a different language to me. Um, uh, sport as well. I never really got into sport, like um, probably my, in second, like my, my high school career. So starting there, I enjoyed playing cricket. Um, I played cricket all the way through to my final year. <clears throat> played a lot of indoor cricket. Had a good, good group of friends that I used to play with. Um, what else did I do, man? Yeah, I used to, I used to really enjoy like back in the day, like you know, being a '90s kid and all that rollerblading, like inline skating. Oh, yeah. So we were always out at skate parks and <laughs> you know, falling all over the place, skating around the the suburbs. <clears throat> That's what we used to do, man. Like we used to, you you leave like school holidays, you leave early in the morning, um, skate over to one friend's house collect him to the next mate's house and then that's how you spend the entire day that's so cool just moving around and just hanging out 
Um, I feel like that's a bit neglected in our days, especially in, in Australia and Melbourne in particular. So yeah. it's quite um, warming to hear that that still happens. Hey, it, was, it was good, man. Like, I love it. If I wasn't, um, it, if I hadn't let it go um, so long ago, I, I, I would like to still be rollerblading. And we often talk about it. Um, just get, get a pair of skates and go down to the beach and skate along the promenade and all that. But wow, I can only imagine how many scrapes and bruises they would end up with. So I don't know, man. I, yeah. love it. I can't even walk on my own two feet, so I'll, I'll keep the rollerblades in there, mate. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit about your diet growing up. What are some traditional South African meals? Wow, man. Um, so South Africans in general, I think, love, love their meat. Right, that that can be anything and everything. Um, I reckon most most get-togethers would be uh, heavily, or they, they would consist heavily of um, a, a, a barbecue. Right, so the main main ingredients of that would uh, would be meat and uh, beer, of course. They love they love the beer. Um, I don't I can't think of anything. Uh, people have asked me before. I haven't. I can't really think of anything that would be traditionally South African. Um, but if I was to choose something that I would think that was synonymous with uh, South African uh, traditional uh, food would be they, they, they like curries and whatnot and um, a sausage called uh, burrevoise don't know if you've ever heard of that never heard of it no yeah but you don't really get it here unless you find some some expat South African <laughs> in the middle of nowhere making his own burrevoise <laughs> um, but yeah I mean that's that's always been it like I mean people get around um, it could be events they're watching the rugby or just <clears throat> just a group of friends hanging out um, and that's generally would be it would be you know, got the lamb chops on there, or burrowbos going, or um, that—that's a lot of the traditional sort of stuff that I can think of. Very barbecuey, yeah. Culture, all, all outside, man. Yeah. And meats, I say, is the is the substantial part of that. Yeah, you get a couple of salads over here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, the bread and whatnot, but it's heavily heavily meat based. Yeah. And growing up, did you ever start to ask the questions of where the meat came from, or how how the food got onto your plate? Um. That's the thing. Like, like I was, I was talking talking with you earlier about it. Like I lived a typical bro science um, lifestyle or diet. Um, I always knew that, or up until a certain age, right? You start to realise, well, where does your where's your food sort? Where does it come from? How does it get to you? But you you're oblivious to like you know the ins and outs and the be all and end all that happens in in the environment before it gets to you. Right. So you're getting a packaged piece of meat. Yep, you see it, you eat it, cool, it's fulfilled your purpose, or the purpose you want it to do. And then I never really questioned it beyond that, really. So yep, you're aware of it, there's videos out there, or there's content you can see um, on the internet, and people that will talk to you about it, or you might see, or read an article. Um, yeah, man, but I never actually physically made a connection or sat down and went, yep, this is where this piece of meat has come from, and then looked at it that way. Yeah, and I guess it's, the lines clearly blurred with that, sort of impact and the marketing behind the industries is definitely blurring that for us so massive man yeah. it's not surprising that you didn't question it you mentioned that you moved to australia in 2010 what was the reason for the move um it's a little bit of a backstory so we, we actually visited here um a few times before um i've come over with my family my dad's family's all over here um so i've got family all over melbourne um some cousins aunts uncles the whole works um so we came over, we visited, Nadine and I came over here in, I think it was the end of 2008, I think it was, and we, we just sort of missioned around and did our own thing and saw a bit of the Australian way of life. 
um, <clears throat> had talked about potentially moving over, just depending on, on you know, the, our lives back in South Africa and what we were planning and what we wanted to do. And then, yeah, went back and um, sort of just, life just carried on. Things, things uh, sort of went as, as it was, as per normal. Um, we, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to think, 2009, end of 2009 <laughs> we're gonna eat all of that i love it <laughs> um yeah we were we were held up in our house um so we got it was a, it was a day day robbery so and this was these guys got in behind our 12 foot walls with the electrified fencing in a gated community um it was pretty hectic man as these guys came in <clears throat> um it was uh it was probably the closest bit of exposure that I've had to something like that. Um, I mean, I've, I've been robbed before. I've had cars stolen. I've had cars broken into. I've had my house broken into. Um, but this is almost accepted as I've, as I've normalized, right? So um, you see death and destruction and you see the environment around you sort of falling to pieces. But it's, again, it's, it's just something South Africans go, well, yeah, it's accepted as normal. Um, and I did as well for a very long time. So then because of that, that was effectively the last straw for us. So we, we, we was just being held up and I remember lying down on the floor, you got an automatic rifle behind your, you know, at the back of your head and there's just, all your senses sort of start to shut down, um, or you don't have control of all of them. But I can distinctly remember like just being face down and just wondering like, this, this can't be normal, man. This can't be right. Yeah. Like there's there's got to be something wrong with this picture here. Um, I don't, it's, it's quite a somber sort of topic. Like, I don't want to elaborate too much on that whole sort of ordeal, but I mean, you get the vibe of it. Quite uh, confronting. Oh, it was massively, massively. And it was, that sort of triggered um, three very specific uh, targets that I had set, or, or specific goals that I wanted to achieve. Um, literally from that day, I remember we were all sitting having a chat and... Um, the next couple of days after that were very it was very blurred very like you know um it was like a big shock to go through right and um it's because it's so confronting and it's so you know it's accepted as normal by by everyone around you you don't have a chance to to digest that or um to vent it properly or to get over it properly so it just sort of you know gets buried and then you wait till something else happens um it could be it could be something more violent it could be um, another small little little invasion of your privacy or whatever it is but then I remember I had this game plan and I just set these three it was I thought they were pretty simple little little goals um, and it was funny because I had some of the closest people to me tell me that um, said Doug you'll never achieve that man he said it's not not real you can't do that um, you, you you'll be back here with your hands hands out and your tail between your leg uh, you're, uh, you're not the grass isn't always green on the other side. I can't remember the specifics of it, but I can distinctly still picture their faces and the comments that came out. And all that did, man, that just, that drove me. Those no's and all the can'ts and all the you won'ts, that became the, now I've got something to prove. I love that. Prove to me and to everyone else. And you could have gone two ways there. You could have agreed with them or, or you could have like used that as motivation to go uh, achieve your goals and that's what you did. Absolutely, man. I just knocked them out and I went, uh, I said six days, I'm going to propose. And then Nadine was still my girlfriend at that time. So I did it. I went out, proposed to her, set it up. It, it, it felt a little bit set up, you know, because I, like, she almost like she knew it was coming. I was nervous as hell, did that. 
and said within six weeks from there, so we're going to get married. And we had an awesome wedding. We had our closest um, friends and family with us. We went down to uh, Cape Town. We got married at the Twelve Apostles. It was great. Mm. It's probably one of the best places in the world. Wow. I'd recommend, highly recommend people go check that out. And then I said six months from then, um, we're going to move to Australia. Like I said, all those, all the can'ts and the no's, that made me keep my head down. And I've sort of alienated a lot of things. I shut the, 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 those visions or those um, verbal cues out, shut those people out, and I just went head down, let's go for it. And uh, here we are today, man. It's almost, what, nine, ten years later. Um, I might be South African born, but um, I'll always be Australian grown. I love that, mate. And your resilience and attitude towards such a negative situation and turn it into a positive is inspiring and I know a lot of people will take a lot out of that so good on you both that's Thanks, a, such an amazing thing amazing thing to do and very courageous as well so great work thank you both. tell us a little bit more about your transition into veganism what was the turning point for you was it that event there once moving into Australia or when I I remember like I say typical bro science diet um, that was what was literally was driving me every day. It was you got to eat X amount of meals, X amount of content per per meal, and then that's what you do. You just got to fuel the fuel the engine. I remember sitting at the table here the one night, and um, I was just reading an article. It was nothing graphic or nothing um, like too hectic or in your face. Um, no specific agenda behind it. It was just a it was a, I think it was a it was a fairly inexperienced photographer or or. Um, uh, emerging uh, journalist of some sorts and she was out at a, a petting zoo or a um, like a little a small little mom and dad style farm and um, she was with a person she wasn't even vegan herself or even a vegetarian for that um, and she was she was walking around and taking some photos and whatnot and then she just met like I don't know got lost and was um, investigating a couple of things and taking some photos and she found a little holding pen that had a, a sow in it and it just had the word um, kill spray painted on on her back so this little this animal dying in the corner and um her friend later found herself she was rummaging through um some of the rubbish bins out there to try and find she said she was looking for something sweet like an apple trying to find a piece of fruit like uneaten fruit or even half eaten whatever it was just so that she could take it to this animal to give it to the animal before it died so that that animal was able to experience happiness and sweetness before she died and then I was literally sitting here and I went yeah there's something wrong with this picture like my picture and then that was it went yep that's it clean my fridges out then and then I said to Nadine transition I'm not there's no transition I'm going straight Bang. literally took everything out of the fridge anything that was pre-made or packaged anything that animal content anything and it was gone it was out of here wow yeah and did you use any resources to help your education along the way what yeah so the next the next oh it was like out of control from from then i started um it was just internet netflix uh, youtube um even uh, things like instagram so that's where with from a social media standpoint like i was all over it trying to digest as much content as i could to make a bigger and broader connection with what I was feeling at that stage. Because it's, it's easy to sit and you can see what you're eating. You know in the back of your mind where it comes from, but that sort of gets, gets tuned out, right? It gets blocked out. Um, but then when you've made a connection from the other side and you can sort of, it, there's no blurred line, it just goes, yep, it's from here and it's getting here. That's why, so I started using 
Man, I've got a list of documentaries here. I'd you... love to hear some, and I know the listeners would as well, that may be in the process of transitioning or wanting to find out some more. So what are some that you use, Doug? Um, the biggest one, the first one that we, we thought that I was um, exposed to, it's pretty confronting, but I think there's better stuff to watch nowadays. Um, I watched Cowspiracy. That was, a, that was a big one. That was, that was pretty interesting to watch. Um, and then also um, a little less confronting or probably an easier way to transition into things like it was um, What the Health was really good. Um, Talks more about the health um, effects of that's right. diet. Yeah, and, and it gives you a little, a little bit of insight into to um, the animal agriculture side of things, and um, uh, not necessarily just where all, all, all the processed sort of stuff comes from, but also where the other content that you're getting comes from. Definitely, um, fat sick and nearly dead. That was also a good one. Um, another, um, uh, you is really really good back in the beginning that I found. Um, quite uh, interesting and quite um, what's the word um, just it was like invigorating it was good good to have a, his view on things was uh, Gary Urofsky and he's got something called the best speech ever I haven't seen that one yeah just google that and it's, yeah. it's he this guy is he's crazy good man he's just the way he talks the way he delivers his message he's not militant about things like yep you, you can get militant people they just sort of shut you get shut down by that sort of stuff a lot of yeah. people don't dig that I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't mind people talking to me about things like that. As long as it's not a forced view or a forced opinion, that's what I resonated, what resonated with me. Yep. Started looking at, um, uh, so locally, like more, like closer to home, something like James Aspie, he was big. Um, Zach and Kat from, from Particle. So from the time I had met them, like, uh, we just, we just gelled really well, man. And, um, very open honest transparent with his content and the, the, you know his views on it and was just it was purely just just a good chat not an, a subjective viewpoint or opinion based conversation it was just just check it out man see how you go so i used a lot of that sort of stuff and then along the way like i've, I've collected um dozens and dozens of, of documentaries or, or books that i've read or podcasts i've listened to got a good little collection of stuff so and it's good to refer back to that stuff as well. Definitely. And you, you touched on before, social media is such a big influence nowadays. And there's a negative effect to social media with the screen time and things like that. But it's also a positive effect at how easily accessible information is and how we can broaden our knowledge just by going through and scrolling down the newsfeed. So Absolutely, man. Great resource. And I'll have all those in the show notes for you guys as well if you didn't quite grab them there. Thanks for sharing those for us, Doug. With your transition, did you have any support from your loved ones or was it a little bit of negativity uh, with that? What happened there? Um, I suppose my biggest um, support point would be Nadine. Like, um, she's, she had also, um, in the months leading up to me um, finding my connection or making it, um, she had been cutting certain animal products out of her diets or out of the way that she was eating not again not for any specific reason like she wasn't just i'm going to be a vegan or i'm going to be a vegetarian and um, she was just doing it because i want to try something different so i have eat less fish or eat less of this or eat that um never forced anything on me so for me seeing that and then getting suddenly making a connection i was like okay cool i can see where this is going um initially it's funny and i think a lot of people can probably relate to this um so again typical bro science diet I, I actually kept it very quiet. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, didn't shout from the rooftops like, I'm, I'm a vegan now. Guess what, guys? I'm a <laughs> vegan now. Um, 
I actually um, I used to have a lot of my meals uh, uh, pre-prepped and, and made for me by the company um, and I probably had maybe a two weeks worth of meals in the freezer and um, I took them out the day and I, I dropped them off at my brother's house I gave it to him I said I over-ordered them and I you know, <laughs> and I over-ordered um, so yeah you can have them not telling him that I had decided to change I'm going to be I'm going to you know try and try this new way this, this way of eating this way of living and I gave him all, all my stuff and um it, it was a, a couple it could even be a couple of months later where I think what I was ordering and he started to click on and then like my folks started to click on to the world like, oh you're not going to have any you know this is all you're eating you're just going to have that um yeah that's because I've, I've decided I'm I'm not going to eat any more animal products so that 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 switched the initially it's like this weird like alien sort of thing that you're doing to now where like um, some of the best food we've had and best meals we've had together with my folks and all that has been at vegan places. Wow. Um, or places that are, aren't exclusively vegan, but they have heaps of good vegan um, stuff. Um, we've had them over for dinners. Um, we're going to have a big vegan Christmas over here this year as well, which I'm awesome. excited about. Uh, I think um, my dad, I don't know, I'll, I'll find out. But my, I know my mom's um, quite excited about it. She's, the, the girls are talking about ideas for Christmas already. So that's that's the the biggest support I've had, and if people are, are supportive of that and they become advocates for you, um, or advocates for for your choice and your decision, that that pumps you up, that gets you gets you going as well. Definitely, and you mentioned before that you and Nadine sort of transition together, so it does make it easier, especially if both people in the relationship are transitioning together. One hundred percent. I know it happened with me as well. Me and Beck both transitioned at the same time, and. We often talk about it. If one of us decided to go plant based before the other, we'd have so much struggle. So, yeah. definitely having that support right next to you does make a difference. Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. How has this lifestyle enabled you to thrive? Talk us a little bit about your work, your training, and then your day to day life. Um, I've always, like I said, I've always had a pretty structured or um, regimented way of um, approaching things, whether it be um, work days, my training. Um, uh, your day-to-day activities and all that. Um, in terms of eating, that eating was always, it was always just something I had to do to get to the next stage of eating. Right? So at, a lot of times I wasn't eating just for enjoyment. I was eating to, to full, tick a box, tick yeah. a box <laughs> and then move on. Um, a lifestyle like this has allowed me to, I've probably eaten more color, more colorful, more nutrient-dense uh, meals now, like in the last almost three years than I have in my entire life. Like when I look at things now, it's like a, a, you're you are visually eating them, and you, that you even like I think that my taste buds have somewhat refined as well. Like they've changed. Like you can just you appreciate things a hell of a lot more when you you get, you're seeing different things and you're getting all these. You just it's such a different experience. Definitely. Um, and you get to explore a lot more. Um, with work, it's actually it's it's been been pretty interesting. Like I, um, I feel I feel a hell of a lot better for it as well. Like I don't um feel as, as sluggish or lethargic like yep, you have your up and down days but um, eating meals don't um, well they no longer make you feel like you know you had to have, you have a big meal and then you feel crap yep. afterwards for a couple of hours and then you feel good again so it's almost like this 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 gradual little arc throughout the day that you, that you coast along um, it's, it's just of good um, like good vibes and good good energy good food and that transition that, that does work through from your training into work into your home life that's definitely definitely i know we were chatting before about the the blurred line between your work life your home life and your training life as well and yeah 
having good food, wholesome food, definitely does help that transition. Definitely. How about your mental sharpness and clarity at work? What was it like before on an animal-based diet and then now on a plant-based diet? Yeah, man. Like, I, let me give you a, a typical, how my day would start with, um, like before being uh, plant-based. I would, um, could have maybe 250 to 300 grams worth of, of steak, um, a dozen egg whites, um, and potato for breakfast. All right. Yeah. So imagine having that. At, like you just, and a lot of people would do that still. Right. That's that's how you bulk up, right? Uh, In inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. I use that term loosely. Yeah. Um, so my days were starting off like that. I've just trained. Um, you've been to the gym and you've you've had a good workout. That you've showered and gotten ready for work. Like you're feeling pumped. Then you eat that. Then you've got like a at least depending on your commute, you've got an hour before you're sitting down at your desk or at your job. Remember what you're doing. And that stuff is now settling in now. And then bang, that's like this cloudy haze, like this food coma. Again, I use that in, in inverted commas. Um, and it, it takes you a while to get out of that funk till lunchtime. Then you feel like, you know, you should be peaking at that stage. Then you do it again. All right, then you've got this lull period again until about three, four. And then from there, like your brain's starting to slow down and it's shutting down. It's like rest time, siesta time. And you still got like you know, three, four hours before you're going to be home again until you do it again. So for me, that's what it was. It was just this constant sort of like this ebb and flow throughout the day going from eating a meal, feeling pretty good and then bang, slump. Eating good, slump again. Whereas now, uh, like they say, the, the, the plethora of color that I have on my plate um, and uh, the nutrients and just the, the vibes and the, the taste and the whole dynamic behind that, getting that in and then I'm ready to rock and roll then. I'm, I'm, I'm at work. I start work roughly the same time every day. I've already been up for four hours before um, most people have even opened their eyes, you know, walking into the office. Got pretty consistent, like my work life just goes. And then like, I can come home after work and still go out for a run. Yeah. You know, the, sun, the sun's out, you go out for a run. That's, that's how you're ending your day. Whereas now you're not rushing to get home, sit on the couch and, you know, wait till you eat your next meal. So it's, it's mental clarity. It's all driven by that as well. Awesome. You did touch on before about the colors looking at your food. You do eat with your eyes first yeah. and seeing all those array of colors on your plate releases a lot of different chemicals in your brain. Yeah. One of them is the serotonin, which is a happy chemical yeah. and definitely does go a long way into kickstarting your day into a happy mood, like you mentioned before. Great, man. And I think a lot of people can take, take a leaf out of your book there. The common scenario these days, people that work in office jobs is like I mentioned in another podcast before, you sit down, you drive to work, then you sit down all day, yeah. and then you sit down on the train at home, yeah. and then you sit down when you come home from work. Yeah. So it's a predominantly sedentary lifestyle. On top of eating those sorts of foods, you're constantly in a slump. Exactly. So yeah. you can definitely thrive off off a plant-based diet, that's for sure. Definitely, man. Awesome, man. I won't dive into this too much. I'll let you do the explaining. Yeah. Anyone that knows you closely know knew that you had an incident at Bounce, which is a trampoline place. Talk us a little bit through that, how it affected your life, and, and what actually happened there. Oh, this is a. I wish the story was more fun. You know, like the, I wish the 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 backstory behind the injury was was a little bit cooler than this. <laughs> but um, I was I was probably the second oldest person in the in the place at the time which is which is sad right so not sad because i'm it was good it was we were having fun now bounce is this obviously you know there's this massive warehouse that they've um, and they're all over the place massive warehouse and they've turned it into it's just trampolines wall to wall um this particular one had a ninja warrior course in it 
um, we had been there. It was, a, it was a group of us. It must have been like eight of us. Um, Saturday night, we had pre-planned this. We were, we were um, going to rock and roll, jump around, do a couple of flips. You know, as it goes, just enjoying yourself. Um, one of the, I say probably like the more, um, uh, I don't know, like the springier or bouncier trampolines in the far corner, where uh, you can bounce really high on them and get like some decent lift on it, and you can jump into like a foam pit. Um, we were jumping over there, and uh, this particular pit wasn't a, um, uh, it wasn't made out of foam. It was almost like bouncy castle material, so like that that um, synthetic sort of vibe, inflated with air. Yeah. And dude, I must have done probably a dozen backflips at, uh, on that night, and I just kept going. I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. At one stage, I still gave my phone to Nadine, and I said, get a couple of snaps. I want to see. And I was trying to land them, like you know, yeah, I'm a gymnast. Now I've, I've done backflips before. I've done them. Um, in, in the pool I've done them uh, everywhere and anywhere so it's no no different this particular flip that I did which just happened to be the last one uh, obviously I didn't tuck enough and I landed I came straight down on my head um, there's if you've ever clicked a knuckle or clicked your knees or you, you feel that clicking a click in your neck or a snap in your neck is a sound that you you can't explain unless you've heard it or you I tell you when that I hit that hit that um, that bag with I mean up I weigh 80, 80 odd kilos so that amount of weight came down onto um, the whole C section of my spine um, everything sort of shifted shifted forward at the time I mean I was lying in lying in a sort of U shape and I was looking up at the sky I was in this in this bag looking up at the top of the warehouse um, couldn't really hear properly, like all my senses are sort of, were, were, it was like just spider senses, all this, like this flickering all over the place. And um, I remember with my left hand just rolling over and trying to feel, I felt like I'd broken my collarbone. Um, the pain was excruciating. And then I started to notice that uh, the right side of my leg, it was altered sensation, like I couldn't lift my leg out. I was trying to pull myself out, but my hand and my leg wasn't doing what I was telling them to do. Um, so I started just shouting out, I said, uh, guys, I think something's happened. Um, like help me, help me. Um, I don't know how long it was, but it's let's say it was probably within forty-five minutes. They had to deflate that whole bag, which again is not not standard protocol. They don't do that, so I would have to be pulled out of that thing. Again, only thinking now that I've broken my collarbone, still lying there. They deflated the bag, lying on my back. I was just sort of holding my neck, and I tried to get up. So I rolled over onto my side initially, and uh, one of my mates um, that was there with us, um, he. He sort of leaned over and tried to try to help me get up. Um, I was supporting my head, thinking, "Okay, yep, it's not my collarbone, not my shoulder. Um, I think maybe I've just sprained something. Something's happened." And as I rolled over, my head just sort of clicked, fell forward. That was it. Game over. Um, just lay there, started like you know shivering, shaking. I had no control over anything. The pain was now just thought it was like this full adrenaline rush, like pumping through me. Um, all altered sensation. Like I started getting pins and needles everywhere. Like. It was just a weird, weird feeling. Nothing I've ever experienced. Um, then they they brought in so the ambulance had arrived. The paramedics um, they jumped in. They gave me a couple of those little fancy green whistles. Don't know. I don't know what's in those things, but um, that helped. That helped a fair bit. They make you go crazy. Oh man, they they pumped me full of morphine. Um, the next thing I knew, I was on a, a triage table. Um, at the hospital like with there was just doctors and surgeons everywhere 
now, now remember I still think I've only broken the collarbone or something you don't know what a broken neck or broken back feels like having never had it before um, I remember Nadine was oh man she still had to drive there so she was got getting lost and she was panicking she had to stop the car and put petrol in it was it was, it was all, all these all these frantic things happening at the same time and I remember hearing her voice coming in now I've got this massive neck brace on and I've got um, they're cutting my clothes off of me and I've got the surgeon comes out and I've now got to sign a waiver with a hand that doesn't work. <laughs> I've got to sign a waiver saying that they have to, based on the MRI, they can see that there's a fair bit of damage in there, that my neck is broken. Um, and they can see there might be more through the thoracic, that I might have broken uh, my back as well. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. So they make me sign this waiver. And I sort of just drag my hand along it. They said that when they move you over, that there's a potential that they can, you can be paralyzed or blind, something like that. So you sign that going into it. And I remember Nadine standing next to me and I just said to her, I said, um, this is, it's gonna go one of two ways. I said, but no matter what happens, we rock and roll with it. So let's just do it. I said, we, let's see what happens. So that, that mindset started right then and there. So they still, I had, had, a, had a, a red shirt on. It was actually one of my favorite shirts. They cut the damn thing off and they were, they were t- telling me they're gonna shave my beard off. So I was more concerned about that. <laughs> um, surgeon came out and he said, bud, he said, we've got to get you in here. And this is like probably close to midnight now. And you're going into surgery in an emergent, like a triage unit. Um, and I woke up the next day and I had um, this massive, massive headache and I had this big collar on and yep, they did, they shaved my beard off. Devastated. I was devastated, I, I'm very upset with that. Um, that was just the first operation. Right, that was just to stabilize the um, the initial breaks in the the, the, the cervical the, the C section. Um, they then was talking about doing a second or a third operation. So I was like, well, how bad is this damage? Like, how bad could it have been, or how bad is it still? And I remember the surgeon coming out and saying that we've we've got you booked in for this afternoon to do the second surgery, which is going to go in through the back. So we're going to do um, a fusion there. I thought again only one fusion or one little fix up whatever the case is that ended up just because of the drama down in the triage and all that obviously there's people with more pressing injuries so they that mine was was pushed out of it so it was a couple of days man. so <clears throat> now I'm lying there I've got uh, a broken neck don't know what's happening with the back um, you have to have a couple more operations and you're not eating anything so you start getting like panicky and again just kept my head dead straight this rock and roll don't worry about that. That's the need. Let's just get fixed. Let's just see what happens there. And in and amongst all of this, you've got people coming in and they, you know, poking and prodding you and checking sensations, seeing if you're, you know, you, you can move. And again, it's all still altered, right? Like you, you, you don't have control over something you used to have 100% control over. So you've got all these thoughts going through your head. And then the doctor came or the surgeon came in and he said, but he said, I can't even draw a line thin enough to show you how close you are to full paralysis. So I was like, okay, things, this is getting real now. He said, um, the way that my spine had shifted, um, you show, and if I look at the, the scans now, you can see a distinct line where it literally moved like two Lego blocks away from each other. Wow. And I was like, yep, all right, cool. Let's get these operations done and dusted. And then, yeah, the, the days after that, we had a couple more. Um, and then, yeah, that's, it was pretty scary, but again, the mindset that I went into was that it can only be a good outcome. 
no matter what happened. Wow, I'm taken yeah. back by your positivity through even the toughest of times. You're sitting there with no movement whatsoever and you're still being so positive. It's inspiring, mate. Thanks, bud. Yeah. Wow. And you described the emotions going through your head when um, when the surgeon told that you were this close to paralysis. What did they expect the recovery time to be after the surgery? This is the best part about it. And this, um, this is where I think the initial mindset that I had helped me get to where I am now. So he came in and he had his, he's got all his crew standing next to him. There must've been about eight people in the room at any given stage. And this was a morning and like a daily sort of check-in for them. And he came in and he said, um, yep, the operations were successful. Um, we've done this to your C234, we've done this to the T1, we've done this to this, all these things. And again, now I've, had a, I've got a fair understanding of it and I've Googled the death out of it and I've asked Nadine to help me understand, <laughs> understand what's broken in me. Um, and he said to me, you're looking at about 12 months right, before you can do anything related to what you've been doing beforehand. Yeah. But he said, one thing I'll assure you of is that if you are going to break something again, it's not going to be the areas that are fixed. And I was like, that's great. So I'm like 25% titanium now, which is great. <laughs> this is the Tin Man, Tin man. Tin man reference. <laughs> there we go. So that was a positive as well. So I think, well, I can never, ever, ever break that part again. Right, I could break something else, but I'm going to break that. <laughs> but what stuck with me was he said to me, you won't be able to do anything that you were doing beforehand for at least 12 months. This is week one now. And this is coming from um, the day I broke my, broke my neck. Um, I ran a half marathon that morning. Wow. All right, so just put it in, into context. There was half marathon, cruise around for breakfast in the day, break your neck. A week later, you're in hospital still thinking, am I ever going to be able to walk again properly? without a limp or without a cane or the crutch, never mind run again and do that type of distance. Again, half marathon is just a half marathon, right? It's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not an ultra marathon, I'm not, no athlete, I'm no superhero. I think um, week, one was, week one was interesting. Um, I had people, so, much, so much support and so much love coming out, so many people coming to visit me. I was constantly surrounded by, by excellent vibes and, and me, me um, feeling that was pushing more of it out. And um, again, in my head, it was just being driven by, you've got 12 months before you can do any of this stuff again. So you ride your bike again, you know, walk, run, sit down properly, shower by yourself, stupid things, you know what I mean? Um, week one, there was like within four or five days, I said, uh, the physio came in and she was pretty pushy, man. Like I, at one stage I was like, oh my God, like I, this is gonna be hard sitting on the edge of the bed, like she's pulled me out of it. Now I haven't moved yet, huh? so I don't know what's going on. And I felt like, I still use this as a joke sometimes, I was on the edge of the bed, I was hunched over, can't get up, um, just me and the physio, and she's forcing me to get up and to try and take a few steps. But the pain is excruciating, man. I can't keep my head up, I can't use my, I can't, no muscle memory, there's nothing there. And I was leaned over like Russell Crowe in Gladiator, <laughs> crying, <laughs> crying, man. Just leaned over like that and the tears were just pouring out. I've got, they've shaved my beard off. I've got this stupid neck brace on. I can't do anything. And I, was, I just wanted to fight and just push back, man. I was digging my heels and I said, listen here. I said, I'm not getting up today. Like, I can't do this. And then something clicked inside again in my head. And I went, you know what? I'm not going to do it right now. So they give me a couple of hours, not a couple of days. And I remember Nadine walking in and she just looked and she said, what's going on here? Like, you can see that like she was distraught, man. The panic on her face because she's got no control of what's happening now. And I've got no control. 
and she's looking over and she says like what what are you doing why are you guys trying to do this to him and they said well it's part of the rehab he said but he, two days ago he just had the last surgery why are you trying to do that he said no we have to i was like you don't have to do anything i have to do it right i'm the one and there's still a um a video and i put up a little post on instagram um just shortly after that where my brother had come in and he literally just sat down and he said get all these people away from us get them, get them out of here and he sat down and he sort of just linked under my arm and he I had this little crutch and I had to carry all my all the blood bags and all the things hanging out of me and I took maybe 10 steps out the door with him like very labor intensive steps in the video I still throw a little shaka up there <laughs> a little bit of a wink and then back and then that's how it was man that was that was the the routine wow. every day until eventually we're talking about like two three in the morning we're walking with the crutch with Nadine arm in arm walking to the reception desk doing a lap coming back in back into bed because you know you pump so full of meds man you don't sleep and when you do sleep it's crazy so that was the vibe in the initial initial week hearing that 12 month plan versus i'm getting up and i'm walking four or five days after the the last and final operation wow emotional roller coaster man it was crazy but all the time the whole vibe through it was just remember that they've given me a time frame it doesn't it's not not um I don't have to stick to that time frame. Yep, I've got to, I've got to monitor and make sure that I'm okay within those parameters. But because he said twelve months, I'm not going to stick to that. He told me I can't do anything up until that point, but I'm going to do it. So that's, that, I just kept looking at it, things like that. Yeah. And that's how I kept playing it out. And I was only in hospital for just over a week, and then I went to a rehab facility, which was also it was grass. It was really good. Um, I was supposed to be there for two weeks. Um, I was there for, I checked myself out um, after the first week and a bit. Um, I had my own room. <clears throat> Gotta remember now, I can't shower by myself. I can't go to the toilet by myself. I can't do anything really by myself. Um, Nadine was in and out there uh, two, three times a day sometimes. She'd prep all my meals for me. Because again, you know, a, a vegan or vegetarian option in the hospital is like a plate of boiled vegetables. <laughs> and it's shit ass. It's horrible. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, I was eating like like a vegan champion in there i saw yeah. on instagram i was very jealous man it was so good there was there was the highlight of my day and part of my routine in the rehab was um i was up at uh, the because they come in they check in on you every four hours to make sure you're not you know falling off the bed and you're not dead or anything <laughs> weird <laughs> i had um a group of them after the first the first day when they slammed the door open and to wake you up and i said guys i said i've got all the ptsd situations here. i'm ex-south african don't ever just barge into the door and wake up wake me up like that so I, you know that was a good i had such a good connection with everyone the nurses the all the doctors and all that and that's how i kept going at it so by keeping them um upbeat and keeping them uh, laughing and happy and on point made me thrive so again i'm not in surrounded by negativity and this this downer environment because I'm hurt, I'm used doing the opposite with it. And then um, they used to come in and they, they'd give me a couple of meds. Then I'd set myself up, I'd, I'd get up and it would take me about an hour man, to, to uh, like change, take my pajamas off and um, get up and sort of wheel myself over, brush my teeth, um, you know, try and fix my hair up a little bit, you know. <laughs> Still no beard at this point. No, I mean, the, the beard was long gone. They, <laughs> they ruined me, they ruined me. And there was a, there was a cracking beard as well. Yeah, it is a great yeah, beard. It's back now. But <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, and then I would, I would get up and I'd, I'd, I'd put my training gear on. Like, I just wanted to, to feel like a bit of normality, uh, normal. So I'd put, you know, a little hoodie on there and I'd sit back and I'd sit in my little chair, not lying down in the bed anymore. 
um, and, I'd, and I'd wait just to see Nadine walking through the door every morning. So that was my routine. So I was ready to rock and roll. It might have looked a bit scary. Every morning she'd walk in and I'm just sitting there, you know, staring at her. Um, I used to get pretty pumped up as well because I'd get a lot of um, like really inspiring and like, like heartwarming messages from people. And I'd wake up to see that in the morning. And um, my, my father-in-law used to often send me like um, a lot of like uh, short, sharp little motivational posts that he'd find. And like that, that was a, that was my routine, man. I'd get that, I'd see that. That was my trigger point. And I'd so I'd wake up and you saw and you tired and you just don't understand. You know, you can't control things, and then you 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 get that, and then you get a good vibe from from the nurse or the doctor coming in, and then you see your wife and all. So all these little triggers help me understand, help me process through the emotions and the feelings and the whatever it was, man. You know, it's. It's, it's often that that's the sort of stuff that clouds your judgment and, and can make you regress a lot quicker as opposed to uh, moving yeah. forward. So, yeah, man, it was an interesting, interesting time. Wow. And anyone listening would obviously take the, take the hint that you're such a positive person, even through the darkest of times, two weeks after having surgery, you could have been paralyzed. You're suddenly creating positive vibes for the people that are looking after you. And trying to remain positive through the darkest situation. How do you do that? I'm intrigued. Man, you know, and it's, the funny thing is, and like, I, I don't, um, I don't claim to be like the most positive person in the world and I haven't always been, right? But I think, um, I mentioned much earlier in our chat that I was South African born, but I'm Australian grown. I could have been, I could have moved over and lived in the States, would have been American grown or wherever I was. But that, my view on that is that everything that led up to me leaving South Africa created a, a personality, created this person with certain uh, views and certain thoughts and um, uh, objectives or goals. And then moving over here with all of that experience and then going through everything I've gone through here um, has helped me adapt, refine and grow those, those key points that I mentioned before. Um, positivity being being probably one of the main ones so um, the working environments and um, a new living environment and a new a new country you're living in and new people everything was new right so you have this opportunity now to use everything as a learning curve everything that you've learned before even if it's negative or positive you learn how to use the, the, the good stuff out of that and then transition it and then help you move forward with it so I use, um, like I also mentioned earlier when we were talking, um, I started getting onto various podcasts or um, reading different books by people. So guys that are, um, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of them, you can add them into the notes, like um, a, a big one was uh, Darren Hardy. So Darren Hardy's been around for donkey's years, man. He's, uh, and it's something that you can, he's got a book called The Compound Effect. And um, if, you, if you can read and understand and digest his content, take it for what it is. You don't take it because it doesn't have to be purely for motivation or purely for success or trying to get more money or trying to gain more control or whatever it is. It's just um, there's certain little, little exercises and little things that he puts into practice that he's used in his life that when I read that book, I've, uh, and here's the funny thing, in the end of his book, whether it's a, it's a great marketing ploy or a great way to make more money, but he reckons that you finish that book, you buy five copies of it, and you give it to five people. So I think now, to date, I've probably 
bought and given out maybe about 35 or 37 if I'm not mistaken uh, copies of that book already and that's every time I read it I buy five copies and I give it to people I've given it to random people on the train I've given it to people I've worked with um, shared it with with, even people even if you don't want to read it like I'll give you a copy of it and you read that if you take 1% um, of of knowledge out of that book and apply it to your day to day and make it your own so that was a big influence for me. Guys like Lewis Howes so as well. He started off, this was a guy that was on his couch, created a, you know, he had a, a sports injury, thought that was a depression, lowest of lows, um, writes, uh, starts off with a podcast, um, writes a book. Now the, the guy's like international, like, and he's great. And it's just that his messages, it, it, you, you take what you want out of him. Wow. So he used a lot of that to maintain um, the, the good parts out of that. And I pull it and I refine it and I make it my own. So whether it be small triggers or how to switch a negative into a positive, um, how to turn a conversation from um, where it could be very somber. So like I mentioned earlier, getting all the negative that happened to us before, how to take all the good stuff out of that and have a look at that, all the things that happened, breaking your neck. Man, I don't think that there's one bad thing that's come out of that. Not yeah. one bad thing. Yeah, but I might not be able to move as well as that. But guess what, man, I ran 12Ks yesterday. You know, and I'm running the Melbourne Marathon next week. How next long week, has Sunday. it been since? Uh, seven and a half months. Wow. So, now you see, when they told me 12 months, that you won't be able to do what you were doing before, that was just, okay, cool. I might not be able to do a backflip again. I probably won't want to do one. I might not be able to turn my head 100% ever again. I might not be able to do X, Y, and Z ever again. But um, I'm running back to where I was again. I can I can still do a bench press. I can do a squat. I can, um, all the things I was doing, I can ride my bike again. You know what I mean? So you, t- you take what you want from all the negative stuff, refine it and turn it into a positive, and then you use that. Those are your triggers. That's your motivation. Yeah. I'm blown away. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, that, that's so inspirational. Can I, if you can break that down into one or two tips for the listeners into turning a negative situation into a positive situation, maybe it could be uh, what they say to themselves when they get up the first thing in the morning and look into the mirror or something like that. One tip for them. There was, um, again, this is sort of like a, um, an adaptation of something I heard ages ago. It was lyric, lyrics to a song. Um, and it was, you can go through your day-to-day life, you can go through your entire life with the same preset um, mantra, you know, got to, uh, got to study, got to get a good job, got to get married, have to get a house, have to live, you die. And that's it. You can, people can happily live like that. I started looking at things like, um, things that I like. So don't care about money. I just want to do something cool. I want to care about people. Those, those three things. When I wake up every single morning, yep, you're going to get shit days, man. I wake up and like, I'm tired. I don't want to go to the gym. Get home. For, you don't want to run on the weekend. You don't want to run after work. Like you don't want to do things. But then if you're not wanting to do it and you're hating to do it, why are you doing it in the first place? All right, so I use those three points. I go, am I doing something great today? Is it going to be fun? Um, am I caring about people around me and the animals around me? And I'm, the motivator's not superficial so someone comes up and he says you're going to have a shit day today and that's what someone's telling you right whose choice is that yeah so 
I could take it and go, yep, I'm going to have a bad day today. If you constantly are living that, and this is the first thing you're thinking of, and the last thing you're thinking of, yep, what do you think the outcome is going to be? That whole thing is compounding, and then it could compound into two days, into four days, into eight days. There we go. You've got a year's worth of bad days. Whereas now, if someone goes, doctor says, you're not going to be able to do some any of this stuff for the next 12 months. You're not going to be able to do it. I go, well, okay, switch that. What's the positive out of that? Maybe not, it might be 12 months. Maybe it'll be 13 months. It might be 14. It could go the other way. Or it's raining outside. You can't get out and you can't do what you want to do. All right, that's the negative of it. But I can still do it inside. You know, I can do something else. I can do another activity. Let's try something else that's fun. Let's do yoga inside together. I don't have to be outside doing anything. I don't have to be inside doing anything. So you, if, if people want to look at that, start off with small... Um, small and visuals are good. Visuals are good as well. I like... Um, and uh, your spouse or partners might ne not necessarily dig this, but um, I've got uh, two or three different colored whiteboard markers or window markers. Um, draw a little little grid pattern up on your mirror or, or, or on a piece of paper, stick it up, put it in your bathroom. Because where are you most of the time? Like you in and out of the bathroom, on your vanity slab or whatever it is, draw a little grid, Monday to Sunday, um, uh, and then come up with, you know, it could be three, five, 10, could be 15, could be as many as you want. Little rituals, little goals, things that you want to do, and you mark them off. If you do it on that day, put a smiley face. If you don't, it's okay. Don't put a cross or a bad or a negative. It's not a negative. So I started off doing things like that where it was wake up every morning, um, recite like a positive mantra in your head a couple times, or just five minutes to digest. This is going to be a good day. It's Monday morning. I'm going to go train. I'm going to go for a run. Um, and I've got a couple of meetings. I'm going to smash those. Tick, I've done it. If you, I want to do 20 push-ups before and after bed. Tick, I've done that. You don't have to do it every set. I want to do it three days out of this week. So those rituals, or those, those little dot points throughout your week, again, they compound. So I used to set myself small little goals like um, little challenges was I want to be able to do 1,000 push-ups in a week uh, combined total. And then it became like this driving factor where I was waking up in the morning, I'd, I'd smash out like sets of 50, try and do 200. Then it became like, I've got to do it quicker. So within five days, do a thousand push-ups. Then you, then you set, you want to do kickstands or I want to do push-ups or uh, sit-ups or whatever the case is. So things like that, they, these small little things that compound throughout your day and throughout your week that make things motivating for you. They give you something to, to like a goal, small goal setting, changes your mindset. Amazing. I think the listeners can definitely take some great points out of that, Doug, and giving us an insight into your daily routine and how you've remained positive through such of the negative times is so inspiring. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing with that, sharing us, sharing that with us, no mate. I've followed your journey a lot on Instagram, and like I said before, I was getting jealous by all the amazing plant-based food you're having. <laughs> yeah. You place a huge emphasis on food was being your medicine. Yeah. Give us an insight into what sort of foods you were having while you were in rehab. Was there any research behind it? And how do you think that adopting a plant-based diet allowed you to thrive through that injury? Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, I had, had the, the luxury of having um, my wife develop and concoct and create all these these wonderful meals for me every single day. Um, fruit, fruit was a big one for me. Um, I was looking at whatever... Whatever I could source, whatever I could find um, on the net, like uh, even just from, from reading a couple of studies and 
things around you know athletes that have used it in their own not necessarily from injury but athletes that have used certain um, plant-based diets or or superfoods or whatever the case is to try and aid in their recovery so I started looking at things like well um, uh, what can I get a lot of now what, what, what is an abundance of that I can eat with no negative um, connotation attached to it so Nadine used to make me um, like these weird and wonderful um, like fruit salads like really like just like wholesome um, like organic uh, like just really great like colorful stuff man it was grass it was awesome but in there as well like i'd throw in um like you know like you, a, a good substitute like a because i wasn't i wasn't moving around a lot um but i still wanted to feel like i had had a decent meal so things like oats um i was using a lot of hemp products as well so hemp seeds um also massive i mean the the, the benefits from just from using that alone um chia seeds flax seeds um, I love that stuff. You can and blueberries, man. Blueberries are like my go-to. If you, I, would, I, I literally I had a punnet of them before you arrived here. Eat with my breakfast, and I'll have that every single day. Sometimes I'll even squeeze. I'll do two a day. Like there's no there's no limit to it. So those are all my go-tos. Um, I a lot of vegetables as well. So although fruit was was always on the table, and like there's you can never have too much of that. I believe. Don't listen to what anyone else says to you and said, oh, you can't eat. There's too much sugar in that. Bullshit. There's, there's a lot of sugar in sugar, man. You want to eat some of these processed things? Go yes. eat. That's got sugar in it. Um, a lot of uh, green vegetables. So big on kale. Like I think there's every single meal we have, I have kale or spinach. That always, like whether it be full green smoothies. Um, I, I don't use any, any, any supplements or anything. Like everything I get is from, from a, a, a whole food source. Um, I mix everything together. And trust me, man, like if people tell you that things like that taste gross or taste ugly or whatever, you obviously not trying the right stuff. Definitely. So I use a lot of that in, in or still do it to this day. Um, yeah, you know, you, you do you do sort of branch out a little bit. You want to have have a bit of a cheat, for lack of a better word. Like you want to have a have a decent burger and all that. There's so many good products out there and so many companies now that are, that are coming to the table. It's, it's 2018, man. Uh, veganism's taking over. Definitely. Like, pe- people are creating products now because the, the market demands it now. So there's, there's heaps of good stuff out there. You can still have a burger with cheese on it. It just doesn't come from animals. It tastes the same. It, it's, it's even bleeding the same as well. That's it, man. It's, it's, there's just so much available now. People don't have, have an excuse anymore. You know what I mean? To say that it tastes shit or it doesn't do the same thing or it doesn't contain the same stuff. So that's what I was doing. I was eating. I never ate anything from the hospital. I might have, the, you know, the nurses would bring me like a black coffee now and then, which is also it's grass. That was my morning routine. <laughs> or like some toast with jam or something, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Those were my, like little little treats every now and then. But in between that, I was still, I'd go stir fries, vegetables, um, potatoes, man. Potatoes are like, I, I, I could eat potatoes for God. days. That's like my, it's a go-to. You want to eat something grass? Potatoes. It's rock and roll. Um... <laughs> So that that was that's what I, I still thrive off of. It still gets me gets me going. It still keeps me going. I'm I'm sure as hell not uh, deficient in anything. That's um, for sure. If anything, I think it's actually made. It, it's it's I'd say it's a, a large component of where I am now versus where I could have been. Awesome. And like you said before, it is 2018. There's athletes that are thriving at the top level oh, from mate. a plant based diet. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, one of the arguably the most uh, the best Formula 1 driver in the world he lives off a plant based diet Peter yeah. Siddle an Australian cricketer there's numerous other athletes that yeah. are doing it and you're walking proof an everyday person who's combated a life changing effect and you're thriving from a plant based diet 
So there really is no excuse anymore. Doug, that's amazing, mate. If you can sum up your main message that you're trying to preach to everyone. Um, in a nutshell, man, I think it's just, if you can find, find a trigger for yourself, find a, a positive trigger. It can be the same trigger, um, the same, the same view or a common view that you have and you can stick to that. So no matter what's happening in your life right now, no matter what has happened in your life, it doesn't dictate what happens in your future, right? You, you ultimately decide what happens. It sounds so cliche, but you are the only person that has control over what you feel, what you do, how you react, um, how you choose to move forward with it. You are the person that controls that. So there's so many sources out there right now Honestly, if you spend every single hour of every single day for the rest of your life, you would you would never run out of content. You will always find something or a message out there that you can relate to. So do that. Spend time, whether it be reading a book. Books are still grass, man. Still get on books. I've never put down a or never turned down an opportunity to read a book. Um, the net, the, your your iPad, the internet, Netflix, YouTube. Find something there that you can relate to. Use that as a starting point anything if you get these little thoughts of negativity or these little derailers popping up in your head find a trigger that helps you switch that all right find out that if you are constantly focused on one aspect of your life it's probably and you feel like it's it's poisonous or it's a negative get rid of it or change that all right um for me that my, my trigger points like i've mentioned earlier it's always been well you see that option it doesn't have to define it just move forward let's see what we can do and then use that and push that. Set your small little goals, small little rituals every day. Amazing. Doug, you've blown me away in this in this podcast, mate. I've learned so much and I'm taking the interview. I've gotten <laughs> lost. I've forgotten I have to ask the question. I know everyone, all of my listeners will be so grateful that you've shared your story with. I personally am and it's such an amazing, inspiring story. Where can we find you to follow your journey from now, here on in? Oh, man. Um, I, like I said, I'm no... Um, no super athlete or anything. I just I'm just a random dude. I like taking cool photos and uh, doing cool things. Um, and uh, I'm just basically on Instagram or Facebook. Um, uh, I'm more than happy to to talk. Uh, I can talk underwater. Um, <laughs> and always always happy to have a chat with people, um, whether it's to share experiences or um, share views on things or or examples of stuff that that I found along the way. Again, I'm only I'm 35 years old. I've still got heaps heaps of stuff to learn, um, but I always do enjoy sharing my experiences with other people. And if people can take one percent out of that, or one little bit of um, something good out of it, then I've done I've done a pretty good job. So yeah, man, hit me up. I'm you want to send me a message, um, let's have a chat and catch up, go for a run, whatever the case is. Man, I'm I'm always down for a good chat. Awesome, and I'll have all of Doug's contact details in the show notes for you. Doug, just before we go, anyone who knows you knows you're covered from head to toe in tattoos. <laughs> Give us a bit of why the tattoos? Why, what story is it resembling? Oh, man. The, also, I started off pretty early. Probably um, it, my dad took me for my first tattoo when I was about 18. Um, uh, it was the first one. I had like a little tribal across my back and all that. And then the bug just hit from there. Um, I've, I found an amazing, amazing um, artist uh, here in Australia. Um, Avalon Tadaro from uh, The Grand Illusion. She's 
oh man, the best shop, the best studio that they work in. It's, if I could, if I could spend the rest of my life in one place, it would be there. <laughs> it would be there. It's it's probably the the vibe in that place. You just feel so good, man, when you're in there. I love spending time in there. Hence why you can see I've um, I'm starting to run out of real estate now. <laughs> so Avalon, Avalon's done done my entire leg for me, and we. We initially started off um, with one small little piece on it, and then it's developed into this this crazy, awesome, uh, like sort of black and grey, vegan um, inspired leg. So I've got heaps of good stuff. Yeah, Moby, funny enough, um, actually retweeted and reposted a picture of one of the tests that Avalon did. Um, it, it's for me, it was just little things that mattered to me, um, pictures and references, and the thought process. And Avalon designed all of these for me. Um, Man, it's just, it's just great. And she's starting to redo a lot of other stuff for me as well at the moment. Awesome. Dude. And eventually, I think I'm just going to be covered neck, <laughs> neck down. Eh? So, um, <laughs> daddy, man. I love it, man. If uh, I got, and all of them have, uh, we, I could spend another two hours here talking <laughs> through the meaning behind each individual piece. Um, I think we'll have to do another podcast. It's a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> you want to find out more about them? Uh, we'll have a chat later. Yeah. Uh, I'll have Avalon's details in, in the show notes for anyone that's thinking of getting your tattoo. I've got a small one on my ankle and I don't think I can get my, uh, my whole body covered like you, Doug. That hurt enough. No, nah, it's, it's a good experience, man. We take the good out of it. Remember. <laughs> I love it. Thanks again for your time, mate. It was so inspiring. I really, it's awesome, really I grateful it, for you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I think what you're doing is fantastic, but keep pushing it, man. Thanks so much for your support. Have a good day, guys. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, and remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria.